Let's go to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. And for a few moments, we want to look into Jacob's dream. And I believe that God may be able to show us a few things that will be quite helpful to us in our Christian walk. Genesis 28, beginning with verse number 10. And it reads, And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. He dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I'm with thee and will keep thee in all places, whither thou goest and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I've spoken to thee of. Verse 18, Jacob rose up early in the morning, took the stone that he had put for pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it, called the name of that place Bethel. The name of that city was called Luz at the first. Jacob vowed a vow and said, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. This stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Jacob's dream. Let's. Have a word of prayer. Uh, Father, again, it is our privilege to be able to break the bread of life. For a few moments now, I do need you to give these folks ears to hear. Help me to speak with clarity. We pray that through this message, Lord, you'd be able to dissolve doubts. And cause faith to grow inside of us. We're so grateful that you gave your only begotten son to die on that cross, shedding his blood for our sins. We know that your anointing is here. It breaks and it destroys yokes. So, Lord, as the word of God is ministered, we pray that you'd rekindle old dreams and old visions. Help us, O oh God, to live close to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This must have been a very important dream. Because afterwards, Jacob organized his life accordingly. The very last sentence of verse 22 says, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. This means that he understood that there was something called a tithe, but he attached it to the promises of God. He said, God, if you perform everything that you promised in that dream, anything that comes into my hands, a tenth will go to you. Now, the influence of dreams are significant in scripture, but they are only effective if the dreamer believes that God is the one talking to them. All of us have had dreams. Some of you may have dreamt last night. 
But we know from Ecclesiastes that sometimes dreams derive from a lot of activity. You can be busy doing a particular thing, then go to sleep one night and then have a dream about somebody you just had a phone conversation with three days earlier. But at the same time, we have to recognize that God is able to come into our world and speak to us through dreams and envisions, and they become very influential. Let's not forget Joseph. Here's a man that had been sold as a slave by his brothers, yet this man had dreams. He had explained them to his family, and they hated him because of the dreams. But he never forgot them. God made every one of those dreams come to pass. Let's not forget that someone by the name of Daniel was able to interpret dreams for Nebuchadnezzar who had a dream, for Belshazzar who had a vision of the fingers of a man's hand appearing. Sometimes when we have a dream and God brings the meaning of that dream to us, it really does shape and mold our future. Angel came to Joseph and said, don't be surprised by the fact that Mary's pregnant. This is of me. Even Paul had a dream. The Lord had to let him know that you don't have to let anybody out of this boat. Everybody stays in the boat. They'll survive. So over and over again through scripture, we have discovered that individuals have had dreams that have been quite helpful in helping them in their relationships with God. But at the same time, in organizing their steps. Well, what's the root cause of all of this? The fact that Jacob is fleeing from his family. He's trying to make his way into Mesopotamia. According to Genesis 27, verse 41, Esau hated Jacob. You realize that sibling rivalry is much more intense than sibling hatred. The one involves a spirit of competition. The other involves a spirit of hostility. Now, let's not forget the story of these two brothers. Isaac and Rebekah wanted to have children for two decades. Isaac married Rebekah when he was 40. When she was, when he was 60, she was pregnant and had two babies inside of her. And there was such a tumultuous issue going on inside of her that she went to God and said, God, why am I all stirred up? And why are these children so busy inside of me? And God said, because you have two nations inside of your womb. God didn't just count the two kids. He counted the, the progenitory coming from the two kids. You have two nations inside of you and the elder shall serve the younger. And that The birth of Esau and Jacob, Esau came out a few moments first, but the scripture makes it very plain. Jacob was holding on to a heel, holding on to a heel. Well, you know the story of Jacob, how he was a very tricky individual, connived his brother out of the birthright, later on tricked his dad and received the blessing that should have come to Esau in his father's old age. And on the basis of that, in Genesis 27, verse 41, Esau hated his sibling. Have you ever hated a sibling before? Have you ever had such enmity inside of you that you swore inwardly? I will not rest until I've killed my blood kin. Verse 41 of Genesis 27 It says he hated him because of the blessing wherewith the father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will slay my brother Jacob. Esau was saying, I know that dad is old. 
And he's closer to the grave than he is to the cradle. And no sooner than that body is placed in that ground, I'm going to kill my brother. That's the issue. We don't ever want to forget that, that Jacob was a, a person that you certainly could not trust. But this man, he was the one that God had chosen. And it's a very interesting thing to consider that in the old covenant and even before Moses, the firstborn son had privileges, but the child of promise even more so. According to Genesis, coming from the loins of Abraham, Ishmael came first, but Isaac was the child of promise. Let's not forget when Jacob becomes an elderly man and his grandsons and people come before him, Joseph brings his two boys, Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh is the eldest. And Joseph, knowing about how the right hand confers blessing, maneuvered his son so that Manasseh would come up under the right hand and Ephraim would come up under his father's left hand. And you realize in the story, the scripture says that just when Jacob was about to lay hands and pray for him, he switched hands. And again, the elder received a blessing that was less than what the younger received. Now, God doesn't have to follow any of our customs. He can break any custom that he wants to, to do whatever he wants to do with regard to his plans, his purposes for all of our lives. And just because in the little box in which you put God, just because you think God can't move out the confines of that little box, I'm telling you right now, he'll stretch his arms and he'll just show you he'll do whatever he wants to do. That's what we have in scripture. So the Bible tells us in chapter 28, in the first four verses, that even though Esau has received these blessings. The hostility was so great, Jacob had to leave. And in verse one, Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him, saying, thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Isaac did not want Jacob to marry someone that he felt was incompatible with the covenant that had come down from his father to him and is now going to go with him. He said, I don't want you to marry one of these mini-skirted Hittite girls around here. You're going to make your way all the way back to Iraq, and you're going to find somebody that's going to please you and somebody that's going to please us, because when you marry, it's never just two people getting together. These are clans and tribes and families that are coming together. So He says in 28 verse 2, get up and go to Padan Aram, which is the area of Mesopotamia, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take a wife from there. Now, I would have been curious. I, I would have wondered, do I really want to marry somebody from my mother's kin? I mean, you know the story with, with Jacob, how Jacob got to his mother's side and how he wanted to marry Rachel and then uh, Laban changed everything around. He ended up with Leah, and then he ended up with Rachel in the end. He had to serve for about 20 years in order to end up with the woman that he wanted. It just seems to me like on that side of the family, those good folks would have tried to sell igloos to Eskimos if they could. Yeah. And so I would have wondered, do I really want to go to that side of the family? And if you study it out in scripture, you can see that Laban was a trickster and a conniver. 
It came down into his daughter, Rebecca, because Rebecca, when she found out that Isaac wanted to bless Esau with the greater blessing, she then told her son, your brother's going out to hunt. We're going to make sure we get we get the kind of meal that daddy likes and I'm going to send you in there and you're going to get that blessing first. That's what he did. That's why Esau hated him because of the blessing. And then you see in Jacob's life, Jacob essentially was twisted, untrustworthy. But yet now Isaac is sending him back to his kin. And in verse three, he says, God Almighty bless you and give you in verse four the blessing of Abraham. Now, what I want to emphasize here is this point. Isaac blessed Esau. But he gave Esau a blessing that was different than what he gave to Jacob. He told Esau, when Esau cried out, Father, isn't there a blessing for me? He said, I've already given the greater blessing to your brother. But he said, I'm going to bless you. And he blessed him and said to him that one day you're going to grow and become so mighty, wealthy, that the yoke of your brother is going to be too narrow for your neck. And you're going to throw off his... uh his power, and you're no longer going to have to be a servant unto him. And then, as you can see here again, the dad is blessing Jacob once more. So that tells me that there is no limit to how many times you can be blessed. Ephesians 1 and 3 says this, Thanks be to God, our Father, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Do you realize I should be happy when God blesses you? You should be happy when God blesses me rather than us being jealous of one another and then being angry with somebody because somebody seems to be blessed in a way that's greater in measure than the blessing that you have. You should be excited and say, praise God, because there's more where that came from. God has never exhausted his blessings on one person. But he's gone out of his way to ensure that as he blesses individuals, it is according to the path that he has them on. And that's what you have to recognize. All of us are on different paths. God has different things that he wants you to do, just like he wants me to do. However, we want to remember that if God is faithful to his covenant and God is faithful to bless us, that like like Mr. Jacob, the last sentence of verse 10, we should ensure that we give unto him a portion of what belongs to him. I give you my word, folks, as quick as it comes in, God can keep it from coming in if he didn't want you to have it. God doesn't want us to be a, a pond or a lake. He wants us to be a river in which it flows through us. And selfish people do not excel in the kingdom of God when it comes to blessing. As God blesses you, we bless other people. So that's what we learned. So this man, Jacob, stepped out with the blessing of his father. And as he's making his way in verse 10, it tells us he's headed in the eastward direction towards Iraq. Now, somewhere between his place of departure and his destination, God met him in the desert. That's what God did. God will meet with you anywhere. God will look for the barren fields, the barren places in your life to talk to you. This man Jacob was alone. His mother wasn't there. His father wasn't there. His brother wasn't there. This man was in a barren place where, where scorn and hostility had chased him away from the security and the love of his family. And now he's out here all alone. And that is where God wanted him to be able to talk to him. 
Because there are some of us, we don't listen to God at all when we're in a crowd. And we have a tendency to pay more attention to what our friends and family members say to us rather than listening to what God says. And so God has to organize our steps sometime to put us in a place where there's nobody but you and him and a few stones in the desert. And that's what God will do. And he did it for Jacob here. Now, This man, Jacob, is interesting because at no time in the story that you read of him does he ever seem to be that religious. You know, Abraham was and Isaac was. But Jacob, when he comes on the scene, I mean, he he's tricking his brother out of his birthright, a brother who sold it for a, a, a bowl of soup. And that's what Jacob was like. But he had a heritage of piety and a heritage that had people in it that loved God. But this is going to halfway change his life. There are a lot of people been raised in church. They've listened to a lot of tapes and CDs and seen preachers and been to funerals. I've seen people that you can look back in the, the, their family and you can find one minister after another, one deacon after another, one officer in the church, a treasurer, whatever it might be, a trustee, one after another in that heritage. But then here's the person that seems all of that bypassed them. And they're like Jacob. And their life doesn't say anything about holiness, doesn't manifest any grace of God. You can't see any mercy of the Lord in their life because they're living in sin. And then they find their path leads them to a barren place. And this is where God's going to talk to them because they're going to listen now. Their ears get big in the barren place. Now, this man for comfort out there in the desert had to use some stone. How many of you have ever tried to go to sleep on rocks? Wow. When I studied Arabic in Jordan, annually, our director of the school, a gentleman named George Kelsey, he was an archaeologist, he would take all of us students out into the desert to spend the day with the Bedouin family, just so we would know what it was like to be around them. And, and in the Middle East, the, the belief is the Bedouins speak a pure dialect of Arabic because it's not mixed up with all of the city dwelling people who have a little bit of this and a little bit of that in their vernacular. And so we went out there one day, drove the cars as far as we could. Then there were camels and mules waiting for us. And I mean, you can't drive a car in sand, folks, not not well, and had, depending on what part of the desert you're in. So we're making our way out there, and it just seemed like we were riding for hours, and we were. So we finally get out there, and you see some tents way out there in the distance, and, and they've got different tents for the men, different tents for the ladies. We get out there, and it's a 100 and something degrees, 20 degrees or better, and I'm hot, I'm tired, and they had the best food you could possibly think of. But if 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 you're not used to sitting on carpets and laying back and reclining on your elbows, then it begins to hurt after a while especially if you're unable to sit with your legs crossed what they call Indian style. Well, I didn't see any rocks or stones or anything out there. So for this man, Jacob, to find a handful of them out there that he could use as a pillow, I, I found that interesting because any time I've had to go to sleep in the military out during maneuvers in the forest somewhere, especially during jungle training, I never found a stone to be comfortable 
And I've slept on a few of them. It's an odd way to comfort yourself, but people do odd things when trying to comfort themselves. What do you do? A lot of things people do. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is the spirit of comforter, of comfort, the, the comforter, as the scripture calls him. Paul says in Corinthians that with the same comfort you've received from God, you give that to other people and minister to them during their period of tribulation. But what kind of stones have you tried to use to comfort yourself when you had difficulties, when you had a bit of dis-ease in your life? You'll find that you don't always rest well when you use things that are not given to you by God. Just like this man, you just hope you can find a place of rest. And that's when he had the vision and the dream in the middle of the night. This man looks up and according to what the scripture says, he saw a ladder or something like a staircase going from earth to heaven. Angels going up and angels coming down, demonstrating over and over again that God's angels have a ministry regarding people on planet Earth. The heirs of salvation, as Hebrews 1 makes it very plain. Now think about that. The scripture says the angel of the Lord encampeth about those that fear him. The Bible tells us that little infants, babies, have angels that stand before the throne of God because of their small little personage. That means when you got in the car, when you walked in here tonight, you didn't come in here this evening alone. You came in here with angelic presence. You may not be able to see the angel. You may not know anything about the angel. You don't need to know anything about the angel. You just need to know that there are a lot of trials you've walked through in your life. And God has been right there helping you even when you didn't sense his presence. That's what I'm trying to get after. I had a. Uh, a marvelous experience one time uh, along these lines. I was in Saudi Arabia and, and we had some problems in the underground church. And I was in the, the city of Jeddah and, and several of our families were Filipino and they were incarcerated because of their faith. And, and I really was sad. I was 21. I was just sad about this whole thing. And I was one of the leaders in the underground church. Well, in the Marine house where we lived, I was laying in bed one evening and as I was laying there, I kind of, you know how you get into that state where you, you're somewhere between awake and asleep, just, just somewhere in there, just kind of drifting and you can still hear a few things. And I started hearing the sound of somebody walking down the hallway towards my bedroom. But the only reason that intrigued me was because it sounded like hard bottom shoes walking across a wooden floor, but the hallway was carpeted. So I'm laying there in the bed and, and then I hear this sound of like wind swirling around in, in, in my room. And I'm still in this whole halfway awake, halfway sleep state. And, and I just happened in that dream to open my eyes and standing in front of that bed was a big, huge angel that pointed and said, uh, 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 be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That was the verse. And then just disappeared. Oddest dream. One of the odder dreams I'd ever had. But I'll tell you another story. A friend of mine, when Tiffany and I were, were dating down in Baton Rouge, and, and I was at Jimmy Swaggart's church, my best friend was a German gentleman by the name of Siegfried. 
Siegfried was supposed to be the best man in my wedding, but this here situation came up that I'm going to tell you about. Well, uh, Siegfried and his wife had been horse trainers, thoroughbred trainers of, of horses over in Spain. Then they came over to the States to go to Bible college. They overstayed their visa or whatever you call the, the special student uh, situation or, or card they had. And so the, the the husband had said to the wife, I'm going to go to immigration and try to straighten this thing out so that we can stay here a little bit longer because they had a restaurant and everything by now in Baton Rouge. Well, he goes and it wasn't the easiest thing for him. <clears throat> well, let me back up a couple of weeks, tell you something else. We used to have a street witnessing program in the church. So we'd go out to different areas and just walk up to anybody we saw and just start talking to them about God. Some would listen. Some didn't want to listen. One night, he and his wife were out there talking to someone. I didn't go that evening. And they met a gentleman, and the guy told him, he said, look, I've enjoyed talking with you. He said, if you ever need any help, give me a phone call. And he gave him a card. And on the card, it was just a phone number, and then his name was Harold. So they gave him the card, and they took it home, stuck it in the drawer. Siegfried goes to immigration several, several weeks later, gets to immigration. They arrest him because he overstayed his visa, and now he's in jail. So he gets a phone call. He calls his wife. His wife is frantic. She calls me. At that time, I was in Alexandria, Louisiana, preaching and putting a church on the Indian reservation just before I came up to Nebraska. And uh, I said, I'm going to pray. Now, his wife, Marika, she didn't speak the best English. It was kind of a broken English, but she loved the Lord. And, and so we just all got to praying. And I didn't hear the end of the story until sometime later. And she said she was walking around the house just praying, asking for wisdom. And so she went over to that drawer and she saw that card in there and she she just remembered what that gentleman said. And she looked on and all it had was Harold and that phone number. Now, you've got to understand that the the name Harold, it wasn't H-A-R-O-L-D. It was H-E-R-A-L-D. Harold as in speaker. Dial that phone number. Lady answers the phone and says, hello, the White House. And. So Marika said, White House. So she started talking real fast, telling the lady what's going on. And the secretary said, well, well, how did you get this number? And the lady said, well, I was out. We were out street witnessing and somebody named Harold gave it to us. We don't know who Harold is, but they finally connected her with the right people. And within a few hours, her husband was out. Now You can talk to them to this day, and I promise you, even if you don't believe in Hebrews where it talks about angels appearing unaware, you're never going to convince them that they didn't run into an angel that was there to help them. A man or woman with an experience is not at the mercy of a man or woman with an argument. There is a difference. When God has dealt with you and God has ministered to you, it's impossible for you to walk away from that. And this is what we're having here with this story with Jacob. Jacob is having an experience at the top of that ladder with the angels going up and down. God stands there demonstrating he is sovereign and all powerful over all. And Jacob realizes this. 
that God is the one sending the angels down. The angels are coming back up in accountability to him, but yet he is the one out there in the desert that is receiving the vision because God wants Jacob to know that wherever you are, in a fruitful place, in a barren place, in a city or in a desert, I can get to you. I can comfort you. Jacob learns this. So think of it this way. Jacob receives from God a fourfold promise, in which the Lord says to him, I'll give you the land. I'm going to be with you. I'll multiply you and I'll bring you back home. That's four things. Now, typically, when God makes a promise, it is never with a singular blessing. He usually has a number of things attached to it if you obey him. And on the other side of obedience is always a blessing. He says to Mr. Jacob, he says, I want you to know that I'm going to give you this land that you're lying on. Well, it may not have looked like much to Jacob, but it was his inheritance. To know that God is going to multiply your seed, Jacob had to be thinking about this, considering the fact he didn't even have a wife as of yet. How are you going to multiply my seed when I don't even have a spouse? But God speaks to your future. He speaks to your end, not just your beginning. And that's the beauty of certain things in Scripture that are predestined. Predestined simply means that God fixes the ending from the beginning. And there are certain things in your life, certain things in my life that God has determined from the point when you came to Christ and has already been prepared for you as you make your way toward New Jerusalem. And that's why Paul could say my life is hid with God in Christ. It is not till you become a Christian that your eyes are open to see the inheritance that God had already laid up for you thousands of years before he receives the promise. If this teaches anything, it shows you the omnipresence of God. Where can you go to escape his presence? Nowhere. He's in your car. He's in your basement. He's on your fishing boat. He's with you when you're going for a walk or when you're jogging. You can't go anywhere to escape the presence of God. And this is what Jacob realized once he woke up in verse 16. He awaked out of his sleep and notice what his testimony was. Surely the Lord is in this place and I didn't even know it. This man thought he had left God back at home with his father. Only to find out God is right there with him. And he did not even have the closest relationship with God. So even carnal people, people whose knowledge of God is not adequate, can have an experience like this that alters everything you know about God or thought you knew about God. I think every Christian needs an experience that causes them to rethink what they thought they knew about God. Yeah. There are a whole lot of people that, that, that they've drawn a line in the sand and they've said, there's no way God's ever going to cross this line because I've read all the Bible. I know all of God's tricks and I know everything God's going to do. And just as sure as you're saying that, then God sticks a toe right over the line. Yeah. Now, I know a real life story of that. Uh, there's, I, I knew a girl when she was, she was little from a big family. And uh, she was a little ornery. And I, I remember one time we were all kind of in the kitchen and the mom had said to the daughter, now get 
out of this part of the kitchen and get back over there on that side and don't come back over here at all. But you know what little Olivia did? Little Olivia walked right back over there to that edge and she stuck a toe in there just to see what mom was going to do. There's always somebody looking to step over boundaries. And you draw a line in the sand for God, and I can promise you he's not only going to come across that boundary, he's liable to snatch you across with him. Because God is a gentleman, but we want you to know that God's plan is greater and it exceeds anything that we have planned. And that's why the Bible says he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think. Your greatest conception of God is still small. Yeah. You can think your biggest thought of what you believe God can do. And I can promise you it doesn't even compare in what he can do. So this man Jacob woke up. He said, oh, my goodness. God is everywhere. Where can I get away from him? I get in the tractor and there he is. Ride the motorcycle down the road and there he is. I lay down to go to sleep and he pops up on the radar screen one more time. That's when a man decides to call that place Bethel, the house of God. Don't you think you need an experience like that? Something that changes how you think about God? There have been people throughout the history of the church that have had to come to where they learned that God was bigger, bigger than them, bigger than their movement. Bigger than their church, bigger than their preacher, bigger than their theology. And when you look at the history of the church, you see it over and over again. A hundred years ago, they said that in England, March of 1907, they only knew of possibly five spirit-filled people in the whole country. So by a year later... 1908, there were over 500. You know what people were doing? They were gathering in homes and, and they, they were having these old meetings they called tarrying meetings. And people would come and just sit down on a chair or sometime bow down on their knees and just sit there and wait in the presence of God. Waiting for God to talk to them, waiting for God to fill them, waiting for God to change their lives. Just setting aside time for God. And that's a whole lot different than today when... Folks can't wait for the bell to ring in church so they can run for McDonald's. Or they get in church, and before they get in church, they're they're wondering what time it is and what time service is going to be over. But sometimes to sit in the presence of God and wait for the reality of God to be manifest, that's something. And all of us could stand that. If Moses could stand at a burning bush, then one day later stand at a mountain burning with fire, What would happen if God ever ignited you? If on the day of Pentecost, 120 people could be in the presence of God and a tongue of fire appear over their head. Hebrews says our God is a consuming fire. What would ever happen if you came in contact with him? It would change you and change me forever. A man had a dream. God help us to have an experience that's similar. Let's just take a few moments just to worship God, just to sit in the presence of God, just to love him and to meditate on him and think about him. Father, we love you and praise you.